Tim Glasgow, wherever you are, come on down. And, um, and this person asked me, so how do, you, uh, how do you feel about your job? How do you like the church? You've been here three years, all that. And I said, I just got back from seven days on the beach in South Florida. This is not a good week to ask me that question. <laughs> so I shared that story at Elders Tuesday night, and I said, this is not a good week to ask me that question. And one of the elders, uh, unnamed, but his initials are Tim Sealing, said, 11 weeks till a basin opens. <laughs> and I said, I hate you. <laughs> I'm from South Florida. I need a summer with lots of heat. So here we are. Is it beautiful out there or what? Just spectacular. Come on up. Hey, Mark, where's the mi uh, microphone? Sorry. Should have grabbed it from you. Tim has, Tim is the chairman of our elders and has an announcement. Hello. Is this on? Well, this is the day the Lord hath made. Let us, be joy let us rejoice and be glad in it. We can have I dress a lot like of reasons to preach? be rejoicing today. Can I dress like this when I preach? Yeah, absolutely. You can wear shorts <laughs> with those Birkenstocks. No problem. You've got some white legs like I do, though, so I don't know if it's going to work well for you. I just came back from the beach, remember? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we have another reason to rejoice this morning. Uh, many of you... Uh, some of you, actually, because many of you are from other places, but some of you that are members of DCC three years ago were involved in a decision to purchase a piece of property that was contiguous to our church property on Labonte. 355 Labonte used to be an old veterinarian clinic and a home in which the vet lived as well. And uh, we had a congregational meeting and determined as a congregation that we would make an offer to purchase that property. At the time, it was appraised at over a million dollars. God provided um, a pr purchase price of 600 or so thousand dollars, which is a miracle unto itself because the property was in distress. We purchased the property, took a leap of faith to do so, took out a loan of a couple hundred thousand dollars at 1% interest, another miracle. Uh, and determined that in three years, we would have that paid off. That was three years ago. Five Today, years. or five years ago. Today, that property's paid off. So we own, that, we own that property now, and I'm excited to see what God will do with it. Um, we have spent 65 or so thousand dollars to date with some renovations and upgrades. We've got other plans to um, do some renovations in the front portion of the building as well, and those are in process now. Uh, Jim lays his head at night with Nancy in the back portion um, of the building, which is a great home for them. And so uh, God has provided again, and it's amazing to see what God will do. And so I just praise him this morning and thank you and thank him for his providence. Isn't that just like the Lord to uh, take a five-year note and pay it off in three? That's just like the Lord, isn't it? The people uh, at our church have several of them. Uh, again, no names, but the initials are Jude Mitchell. Uh, likes to call it the animal house. I don't know how I feel about living in the animal house, uh, but it's great. Nancy and I are very appreciative of you. Thank you for, for doing that and making that our home. If you have your bulletin, there's several things I want to talk to you about in here. Uh, we have coming up this summer that you need to know about, especially some of them, especially relate to you as members. On the very back page, uh, right up top, June 26th, we are going to have a new member Sunday. We have several new members joining the church. And then after church, 
If you're interested, we have what we call an inquirer's class over at the church, just a couple blocks from here. We provide lunch, and it's your chance to get to know about the church and ask questions, and that's one of the steps to becoming a member, but it's not required that you become a member. It's a chance just to come and learn why do we do what we do, what's our background, what are our beliefs, that sort of thing. Right below that, in the next box, nominations for elders are now being accepted through June 30th. It's that time of year where we open up the, uh, for nominations for elders. We'd like to appoint at least four, and we'll be bringing those to the congregation, the members in the congregational meeting. So if you have someone you'd like to nominate, give me a call, email me, text me, whatever you'd like to do, and uh, we'll be glad to talk about it. The, um, another thing I'd like to highlight for the women and uh, men, especially for those of you that are here for the summer, we still have our ministries going on. So 6.30 on Wednesday morning, we have Iron Hour for the men. We have breakfast and a discussion. Mark leads it. We have a great time there. And the women are on uh, Thursday mornings. Um, you can see that information inside your bulletin. Don't forget about our upcoming retreat. So if you get bored with what I'm saying this morning, you got two options. You can meditate on that sign right there or meditate on that right out there. Either one. It's your choice. Don't forget about the retreat. If you're interested, in, uh, we'll have a table all throughout the summer up top. In fact, there's Ruth right there at the very top. So after church, you're wa- or go up during church and talk to her about what's going on on the retreat. If you open up toward the inside, there's some important dates for you to remember. Uh, on the inside, on the left, under the DCC calendar, June 28th. Uh, yes, we are in the middle of a discussion as a congregation about uh, women in leadership. We've been asked the question as elders, why don't we have the women as elders? And the elders have come to the conclusion after a pretty lengthy discussion that we have freedom in this area. And so we're opening it up for the congregation to make the decision. So on June 28th, we're having another Q&A. And on July 10th, we have two of those where you can just come and ask your questions and talk about it and, and tell us what you think about things. And then our congregational meeting is August 21st. You don't want to forget that as members. You as non-members, you're certainly welcome to come to that. We uh, would love to have you, but that's where we vote on the budget and the ministry plan, and pretty soon that'll be out. It'll be on the website. You'll have all that information, and you get to think and pray about what you'd like our church to do and become. Okay, we started last Sunday a theme in the Psalms. You got probably figured that out with Mark's discussion today. Looking at the Psalms from the perspective of a mirror, a mirror of they're a mirror of our soul. And not just our individual souls, that's true, but our collective souls. And we want to spend the summer looking at some very, uh, some of them you'll be very familiar with, others you won't. Psalms that teach us something about the Lord. And you find all kinds of things in these psalms. You find people crying out to the Lord. Have you noticed how when we start our, uh, get up front here and start the sermon, we almost always stop and pray? For something? Why do we do that? Many of the Psalms cry out to the Lord when there's a need. I don't know about you, but I am deeply saddened over what happened in Orlando. I, I just am beside myself. How could this possibly happen? I can't even understand the mental process that would lead someone to do that. I just can't. All week long, I've been talking to people that feel that way. So let's stop right now and do what the Psalms do. Let's cry out to the Lord and lift up several things to him. Father, we do lift up to you, Lord, the people in Orlando. I 
I'm sorry, Lord, on behalf of our own people. I'm sorry that, uh, that we have people who would do such a terrible, terrible thing. And once again, it just reminds me of our need to, uh, for redemption. Thank you for sending your son for us. And Father, I would like to also lift up Lord of the Mountains Church. Just another thing that we've been reaching out and praying to you for. Our own, one of our own sister churches here who uh, they're in a pastoral transition. Give them wisdom, Lord. Bring to them the pastor that you want them to have. It's hard for the sheep when they're looking for a pastor. So I pray that you would just comfort them and bring them someone who is not afraid to tell them about the love of your son, Jesus. And Father, I pray we continue to pray for Father Michael. Lord, um, God, if you don't intervene, he's going to die. The cancer is just too powerful. It's too late. So, Lord, we come to you and we just ask and we plead and we pray and we cry out to you on his behalf. Lord, he's such a good man and he loves that flock so well. And uh, we pray that you would heal him and that you would restore him, Lord, and uh, that you would bring him back to the flock. He needs your help. So we lift those up. And thanks, Lord, for, uh, thanks for paying off the loan on our own property way ahead of time. Thank you for these generous people who have made that happen. Just pray that you will continue to bless them, that we say thank you to you for being a God that we can trust. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, that's what the Psalms do. They cry out to the Lord. And that's what we learn. So today we're going to look at Psalm chapter or Psalm 2, not chapter 2, Psalm 2. Remember last week when we introduced the Psalms, we said, why are we looking at the Psalms? Several reasons. The Psalms give us language. They give us language which helps us express what we think about things. The Lord is my shepherd. How many of you know that phrase? Let me see your hands. Almost everybody here. You don't even have to be a Christian to know that one, right? The Lord is my shepherd. That gives us some language to express. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We could go on and we could do several of those and we started repeating these psalms and you would know what that they're you would know the saying. It would be familiar to the, the Psalms give us language to express some of our desires. But more than that, they help us connect. When you read the Psalms, the Psalms are written by individuals, and often they have the word I in there. You, uh, you relate to that, okay? I mean, if you listen to Psalm 3, how many are my enemies, those who rise up against me? You probably connect with that, right? Psalm 4, answer me when I call to you, God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Or Psalm 5. We're actually going to look at this one next week. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help. Have you ever pleaded with the Lord? And so the Psalms, they give us a way, a mirror, if you will, to look at what's happening in our own lives and to make sense of it. But guess what? You're not alone. For whatever it is, whichever Psalm connects with you, there's a bunch of other people here that connect as well. And so this is also a statement about our church, our community of faith, that we cry out to the Lord. We recognize that we live in a broken world. We know that. I don't have to convince you of that. We live in a broken county. I, like you, am out in this county all the time talking to people that are hurting. It looks nice on the surface. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. The people that are up here having fun are hurting just as badly as some of you. They are. And then the final reason we look at the Psalms is because they, they teach us about our Messiah, Jesus. They teach us about our Messiah. They tell us something about him. 
So in the New Testament, uh, when the authors began to write, their Bible was the Old Testament. That's, who, that's what their Bible was. So they had the Old Testament, they had received it, they understood it, they studied it, and then Jesus came and surprised them all. And then they began, as the years went by, they began to look back on the life of Christ, and they used the life of Christ as a filter to begin to understand the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Scriptures given to Israel. And they began to look, and they began to make sense of this Jesus, and much of what they saw was in the Psalms. So everywhere we go in the Psalms, we're going to see images, allusions, pictures of Jesus coming in Psalms. They tell us that. Last week we looked in Psalm 1. Remember there we talked about the law? And we said Psalm 1 is an introduction to, it's an introduction to stepping into a relationship with the Lord. And it forces you to make a decision. How blessed is the, the one who does not associate with evil, but who loves righteousness. That's an invitation for you. You have to decide. Do you want to step into the presence of the Lord or not? And there we ask the question, what's so bad about the law? When we ask people today about the law, in the classroom I ask that question, I always get the same language. It's impossible, it's rigid, it's hard, it's all these things, but yet nobody in the, old, and nobody in the Bible thought that. I love your law, O Lord. Teach me your law. It's called blessed, perfect, wonderful, righteous, good. Those are all the metaphors used to describe it. The law was good. It was good. Because God finally spoke, the one true God. All the other gods didn't speak. And our God finally spoke and said, here's what I want you to do. And what the law did was both protect us and make us holy. In other words, it made us look a little different than the world around us. By the way, that's still true today. When Paul says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. If we grumble and complain, we have nothing to say to a world that grumbles and complains. We just don't. We don't. But if we, if we somehow bear up under it, and all things give thanks to the Lord, for this is God's will, that the world doesn't understand. And that's all holiness means, is he makes us different than the people around. Not better, not better, different so that they look and they say, how did you do that? How did you have that kind of marriage? How did you just go through that, that process of getting fired and laid off and, and you're still okay? How did that happen? Every one of you have been through something. So the law is still true today. It's a way for us to, to honor the Lord, yes, but it's a way for us to communicate our faith in very real ways. So that was, chap that was Psalm 1. Psalm 2 is going to introduce us to the God, this one true God, who truly is sovereign. We're going to read it. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? Why do they do that? First of all, do they do it? Did the na nations conspire? Do we see evil in the world? <laughs> it's kind of like dripping, isn't it? <laughs> it's just constantly there, oozing out. As many of you know, I travel and teach in several third world countries and the corruption and the horror. It's just amazing what I see. Why do the nations do this? That's a great question. Why do they plot in vain? It's a worthless exercise. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, 
Let us break the chains and throw off their shackles. Now, this was written in the ancient world when uh, Israel was at its height and its glory. It was the world power at one point. And so they were asking the other kings to come alongside and to learn about this one true God. And they're saying, absolutely not. We're going to break the chains. We don't want anything to do with you. We don't want your God. We have our own God. We have gods all over the place. We don't like your God. We like our God. That's kind of the argument. So he's asking the question, why are they, why are they doing this? Why don't they turn to this one true God? Well, next section. The one enthroned in the heavens laughs. That's our God. You don't ever have to worry. You don't ever have to worry about the evil that you see in the world. Be sad. Do everything you can to change it. But don't worry. The reason is because the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. I've said to my church many times, don't be ashamed to call yourself a Christian. Don't be afraid to talk about Jesus out there, out there. They don't know who he is. Most of them, the best they can do is a stereotype that they've picked up from the media or, sadly, from other Christians or friends. They don't really know the truth about what we believe, which I have a lot of fun with when I'm talking to people. The Lord laughs. He rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath. This is what he says. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I put my king there. I'm the one that put him there. Later on, Paul's going to say that there is no authority there is no authority established by that, but that which God establishes. Therefore, pray for the emperor, honor the emperor, show respect to the emperor. Peter and Paul both said that. Guess who the emperor was when they said those words, both of them? Nero, one of the most haters of Christianity, vile, vile man. And they are trying to reassure the people God is on the throne. That's what Psalm 2 says. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Vote your conscience, but don't worry about the election this year. Pray. We serve God. We serve the one true God. You can relax. It may not happen the way you want it to. And whoever gets voted in is going to do something that most of us isn't going to like. That's my prediction. Right? That's what I think is going to happen. But who's in charge? Let's not forget that. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. This is the next paragraph. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. These are those kings and nations who rebel and reject. This is what he says he's going to do. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son. That's a, that's a metaphor for showing homage to someone. Kiss his son. Show homage to him or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Okay, this is called a royal or an enthronement or a kingship psalm. This psalm most likely was used at the coronation of almost all the kings throughout the history of Israel. You see, what would happen is the priest, at God's direction, would anoint the king. You're the next king. They would anoint the king, and they would read this psalm. Because this psalm is filled with lots of hope. Because we serve the one true God, 
and he's going to bless us as a nation and make us strong. What a sad thing that king after king after king after king after king rejected the Lord and went in a different direction and rebelled. That's not uncommon. We see it all over the world. We see it in our country. What an amazing thing. This wonderful song. And why would he say, you are my son, today I have become your father. You know, when David became the king, God said to him in 2 Samuel 7, your legacy, your dynasty will last forever. You don't ever have to worry. There will always be a king on the throne from your family line. So you can imagine one king after the other. I got it. I don't have anything to worry about because of this prophecy. And so they would read this psalm every time a king was crowned, enthroned. And then the kings, most of them would go on and do their own thing and lead the people away from the Lord. One after the other. Could you see how the people would begin to lose hope? So then, 5th century, 6th century, the nation was uh, ended, came to an end, led them off. They were deported for 70 years. And then God brought them back. It's a new generation now. They began to look at this psalm and they began to think, maybe we missed it. Because we have several hundred years history of kings that didn't do this. Several hundred years of history of kings that led us away from the Lord. And when they finally got back into the land, after they had been deported for 70 years, Ezra and Nehemiah, some of you know those stories, they took this seriously and they said, let's don't ever make that mistake again. Let's don't ever do that again. We learned our lesson. We have been exiles and now we're back. Let's don't do that again. All of a sudden the law became very important and this is just a couple hundred years before Christ. This is what Christ walked into. So as they, as they go through this period of time, they begin to read this psalm and they begin to think, you know what? There must be more to this psalm than we imagined. It must be pointing to something deeper, something we had not seen before. So then you get into the New Testament. Now I'm going to read to you something out of Mark chapter 1. Now remember, Mark is written probably 30 years after Christ. So they've had a chance to reflect back now on what Christ happened in the life of Christ. They're just beginning to make sense. Their only Bible was the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. They're the ones that are going to write it. And so the words that they say using this psalm are pretty spectacular, just spectacular. For example, in Psalm 1, at the baptism of Jesus, Psalm 1, verse 11, a voice came from heaven, you are my son. You are my son whom I love. That's a direct allusion to Psalm chapter 2. Or over in Acts 33, Paul is talking, and he says, he quotes this psalm, and he does it, uh, he uses it in a very wonderful way. Psalm 23. Can't be 33. Not that many chapters. I think I would know that. That's what you go to seminary for. <laughs> so you can forget everything you learned. <laughs> um, you know what? I totally forgot where it was. So, you just have to trust me. <laughs> he uses Psalm 2 to, to show that Jesus was a fulfillment. But there is another one in Hebrews 1. The author of Hebrews does the same thing. He quotes Psalm chapter 2, the Psalms that we just read. Okay, Psalms chapter 1, excuse me. 
This is the beginning of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's Jesus. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Through whom also he made the universe. The son is the very radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. For as Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. That's Psalm, chapter, that's Psalm 2, right there. They figured it out. And then he goes on and quotes the song, uh, second Samuel, which I just mentioned a minute ago. I will be his father and he will be my son. So the author of Hebrews went right back, as did Paul and, and Mark, and quoted Psalm 2, they figured it out. Now remember, Jesus lived here 30, 40, 50, 60 years later. They're down here. They're beginning to write what we now know as the New Testament. They're looking back at the life of Christ. All they have is the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, these Psalms to compare. And they said, that's what he was talking about. That's what he was talking about. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be wise. Now all of a sudden we can understand why Paul and Peter both said, pray for those that are in power and authority. Pray for them. Because they lead us. They lead us. And I'd like to close our time by praying for our president and our government and the upcoming election. I think this is very important. I have no idea what's going to happen. There have been some years I thought I had a pretty good handle on it. This year I don't have, I don't know. I get asked all the time, who are you going to vote for? And it's like, first of all, I'm not going to tell you, but second of all, I don't have a clue what to do with this. You know? It's an amazing thing for me. But what I do know is that God is the one that places them on the throne, in power, in levels of authority, whatever the particular government happens to be. Okay? He's the one that does it. So why don't we stop and pray for our president, our government, the upcoming election? God, we do lift this up to you. Lord, uh, it's easy for us to imagine, for us to be a little bit frightened, for us to be nervous. Lord, I, everywhere I go in the county talking to people, they're on one side or the other. We're such a divided country. Lord, we, we don't know how to, we don't know how to, to have civil discourse even anymore as a culture, it seems. We don't know how to sit down over a coffee or beer and just have a simple conversation about this without emotions and tempers and passions getting into it. Lord, we are a divided country. And Father, we're a divided church. So with that as a background, I would like to pray for President Obama and the cabinet and the government. Lord, our local government, Governor Hickenlooper and our own uh, city council even here. The people that you have placed there, Lord, we look to them for leadership, and we look to them, Father, to make good decisions. And, Lord, I'm willing to grant to you that they're human, and they should be allowed to make mistakes and, they, and make bad decisions. I do that. Um, but, God, we pray that you would give them wisdom. Bless them. Lord, bless them. Give them wisdom. Help them to know what's the right thing to do. Lord, I think of these words 
Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to destruction. Help us, Lord, to take refuge in your son. And help the leaders across our land, Father, to do the same. Father, I pray for this upcoming election. Uh, you know my own heart. Uh, I'm kind of stupefied to know what's going to happen. I, I can't even begin to imagine. But I have confidence in you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would give us a president who would lead us well. Don't give us what we deserve. So give us a president who will lead us well, Lord. And help us as Christians to still honor that president, he or she, whichever one, and to, uh, to rest in you, rest in who you are. Thank you that so far back in the ancient world, you already gave us a glimpse of your sovereignty, your love. At the same time, your willingness to make hard decisions and punish people, Lord, who rebel and reject you. So bless our country during this time. And Father, one more thing. I pray that during this election year that you might take advantage of this, Lord. I know that a, lower, a large portion of our country has turned away from you and uh, that you might take advantage of this and bring our gaze back to you. Help us, Lord, to love you well and love the people around us well. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I'm going to ask our ushers to come take an offering. We do the offering. We do communion after the time in the word just to give you a time to reflect a little bit and i don't want you to just put money in i want you to say thank you god for making this possible you heard tim's great announcement for those of you that made it happen thanks for paying off that loan that's wonderful thanks for being generous